The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, plus a £20 Amazon gift voucher, absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics, life and culture. My name is Freddie Gray. I'm the deputy editor of The Spectator. I am very pleased to be joined by uh, Lauren Southern, who is a documentary filmmaker. And we're going to be asking if the alt-right ever actually existed. Lauren, I think you are meant to be one of the leading figures of the alt-right. But I have a pet theory that it never actually existed. I think it was a, a thing that people talked about for a while in the years between 2015 and 2017. You obviously became quite famous as a, as a part of it, but it was more a online phenomenon. Let me put that to you. D- d- does the alt-right exist? Yes, it's definitely interesting being given leadership status of a group that can't even be defined, nor did you ever claim leadership status of. It does appear that I think the alt-right as a concept existed in 2015, 2016, but it meant something very different than what it means today. It meant alternative to the mainstream right. And then it was taken on as a term and amalgamated into something no one ever meant it to be when they were discussing it in 2015, 2016 by the mainstream media into essentially just being a a slur for the most fringe corners of the right wing. And the media appointed leaders of it. They appointed members of it. They decided who were all, you know, the, the factions of this little world they created and invented. And most people like myself found ourselves shocked and surprised to be called leaders of this group that we didn't even know nor have membership to, nor felt to be leading ourselves. <laughs> yes. Well, I suppose the person most associated with inventing the term the alt-right was Richard Spencer, mm-hmm. uh, who I know a little bit. And I think he did become a sort of white supremacist or uh, a white nationalist. But why was he coined? Why did he become the person who coined that term? Because he's the first person that used it? Yeah, so I believe, from my understanding, he did coin it as a an alternative option to the establishment right. But it kind of went into the mainstream during that 2016 phase and plenty of other people just used it. And I, I, I know people today that people would consider neocons who used that term to describe themselves. And... It was literally just, I am not like the establishment, but it has gone back to some of its base for a little while there where it became just people who are white nationalists like Richard Spencer, although including all the people who had been slandered with the term as well. And now for its use today, I truly don't think it means anything anymore. To some groups on the internet, alt-right just means white supremacists, white nationalists, or Nazis. To others, it means the entire conservative movement. It's really difficult to pin it down when you have groups like the SPLC or the ADL that will use the term alt-right to, you know, refer to phrases like, it's okay to be white, an alt-right term. Well, is that an alt-right term? Or should we all just not agree that it's fine to be born with the skin color you're born with? 
Well, I suppose um, what it, what it might mean. I think did I think you you once wore a t-shirt saying it's it's okay to be white. I did. M- might it mean? And I don't mean this in a in an. I hope you won't take this in a in a um, challenging or or. or I don't take way. offense to anything. I know. I know. You're, you're, you've been around the block far more than I have. But but I mean, might it mean saying provocative things on the internet that are dabbling in high traffic? high uh, engagement culture just for the sake of saying I think that that would be the definition that a lot of people who would have considered themselves alt-right in 2016 would have used or provocative or challenging the mainstream but the issue is that that is not what the popular definition has become nor I, I think the popular definition today has taken a lot of the conservative movement by storm as well, where they will not use alt-right to define themselves if you are a conservative, even if you don't like establishment conservatives. You'd be considered more of a Trump or a mega conservative. I'm, you know, I'm a Trumpian conservative. But the the issue is, though, I'm not even certain that alt-right would define just a provocative side of the internet, because it depends what you define as provocative. Jordan Peterson has been called alt-right before. Perhaps he says things that are provocative by today's standards, by today's progressive standards. But as as the Overton window moves further and further left, doesn't everyone, even the most liberal individual, become provocative to some degree? Can you, because I think the Overton window is a term that Americans use a fair bit. I'm not sure British listeners will be so familiar with it. What, What is the Overton window? The Overton window is the window of what is acceptable within society and what is viewed as normal and politically neutral even. So some points in history, the Overton window has been extremely right wing, where it would be perfectly normal to even say racist things on a day to day basis. Of course, uh, you know, early days in America would have been like that perfectly normal to say women shouldn't have rights. You know, there, there are still places in the world today where the Overton window is, is placed in all sorts of bizarre places. Today in America, though, the Overton window is quite left wing. You can't be going around misgendering people. You can't be going around saying even even a racist joke that is meant as lighthearted, even if you're not white. You know, you have people that make um, you know, are, are comedians that are getting canceled all the time. But at a different time in history, I'd say probably the you know, maybe two th- year 2000, the Overton window is at a pretty reasonable middle, I think, between the left and right. And it's it's certainly swung leftward. Yes. I mean, I suppose what a lot of people are fascinated in uh, with the alt-right is that it seems to be an awkward marriage of libertarianism and the socially conservative right. And for a long time, I think this was called fusionism, right? Uh, that you would marry these two strands of right-wing opinion. And I think why a lot of people are interested in you, because you seem to be a libertarian and you then seem to have become a, a social conservative in a, in a different way. And I think to me, that seems to be what the alt-right is, is this online bridging of two rather different worlds. Am I wrong about that? I, I do think you're wrong. So anyone who would have considered themselves alt-right, like actually used that label to define themselves rather than a label of intrigue, like, ooh, I might be alternative to the mainstream. Uh, the alternative to the mainstream people, yes, would have been I'm more libertarian, I'm you know, anti-war, I don't like all the lobbyist groups and everything. But people who 
would have been like, I am part of the alt-right, even after the media started labeling it all as white nationalist and all these hardcore traditionalists, they would absolutely reject people like me. And they would reject anyone who was more to the libertarian side of things because they, they see liberalism and libertarianism as lacking order and structure and hierarchy. Uh, a lot of the alt-right, more hard right, this is when the definition started to shift, they would even see me as to, despite my criticisms of feminism, as a woman, I shouldn't even be in politics, right? I, I, this is not my place. I should be just at the home baking bread. So, it, it, but this is what makes this conversation so elusive and difficult is the definition I do believe has shifted in so many different ways over time. Yes. Well, I think that is the, that's why it seems to me quite a deceptive term is that it can mean anything from you and Milo Yiannopoulos back in 2015 doing the sort of pro-Trump thing to then something very free market, you know, anything that seems to trigger people would be considered alt-right. Yeah, I remember seeing alt-right campaigner being used to define me a lot when I was touring Australia. And I always found it very funny because it was this picture of me marching down the street, you know, this, this independent woman going over and doing speeches all over Australia and just thinking to myself, you know, a lot of the traditional alt-right that would actually use that word to define themselves could not see an image like that as more antithetical to what they actually believe in. You know, I, I should not be going around doing speeches, traveling around the world in a very cosmopolitan manner. <laughs> so it, it's, I, I think it is an utterly useless word today. I think it has lost all meaning and all, all, all use. But then, you know, you could also apply that to a lot of labels. Does conservative mean anything anymore? Does, does left-wing mean anything anymore? We've, we've got a complete memoricide of political definitions today that have made conversation near impossible when we're all using different definitions. What does racism even mean anymore? What does bigotry even mean anymore? There is no consensus on these things. Well, to what extent do you blame one specific website, Twitter, for that? Well, yes, when we've uh, gone to go settle all of our political, social, cultural issues in only a manner of, what, 200 some odd characters, that's, that's certainly caused a crisis, I think. But also Twitter has allowed for a lot of people that probably shouldn't be having any influence in the political or conversational sphere to have quite a lot just through pure democracy of upvotes and downvotes and all of this online. Uh, and a lot of it is, I genuinely believe, astroturfing and people buying likes and promotions of their posts, unfortunately. No, nothing we're seeing online is particularly genuine. You never know if it's a bunch of 14-year-olds that are promoting this ideology or a bunch of you know, college-educated individuals, working class, half the people that will like posts promoting you know, anti-work don't even have jobs or never yes. have. But uh, you're very good at that. You know, I'm not, I don't mean this is in a, in a hostile way. You're very good at promoting yourself online, right? Wouldn't you say? Right. Yeah, yes, and that's that's important. Obviously, you need to get eyes to what you're doing. But the kind of promotion online I'm I'm talking about is there's so like I, I believe that there are a lot of political ideologies online and groups online that cater to younger people. If you go to a younger audience that is like a bunch of 11, 12, 13 year olds, you are going to get massive numbers with very little questioning to your ideology. But when people observe that 
on Twitter. They just see 40,000 likes on a post and think that it's, wow, this must be a pretty interesting take because that's how our brains work. We react to the numbers. It's a numbers game. We see who's getting ratioed, who isn't. And then there's also a degree of people buying posts. You can buy a thousand likes on YouTube for like 50 bucks. It's, yeah. it's super cheap if you wanted to do that. So I, that. I, I, I think a lot of it is curating of our minds online. And then when it comes to the, the sorry, we, we, that's off topic from the obscuring of definitions. But what my point is that a lot of people who don't even know the definitions of these words in the first place or what they used to be are able to get these mass followings and audiences or at least buy them and promote them. And that becomes the popular discourse. Yes. I suppose, I suppose what I'm driving at fundamentally, not actually not fundamentally at all, very superficially, is, is it possible to be a conservative and be successful on social media? That's a very good question, I think, because you're not necessarily living by conservative standards. I, I don't think a lot of people that partake in politics that consider themselves conservatives today are even aware of what they're conserving anymore. It's almost desperate, scrappy grappling at something in the past that isn't today. Just God, make this stop. <laughs> We're going off a cliff and they're just clawing at it, but they're falling down nonetheless. So really, you know, that they're not making much progress back to anything. And maybe to some degree, because so many conservatives are young, disaffected people, they don't even know what they'd be clawing themselves back to. They just don't know. They, they don't want where we're headed. Yes. That's all. And, and they dream of something that uh, perhaps through rose-colored glasses, you know, the 50s, you know, even the 90s, something that isn't today. But we, we all look at it as much, much better than what we have now because it just seems to be getting worse. And, and I suppose a lot of people are sort of revolutionary. You know, a, a, a lot of conservative people are revolutionary online. It's all sort of talk of taking down the system, the system is against them, because of course, you know, the system is against them. You know, Twitter is biased against conservative opinion. I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. It clearly is. No, I don't think there's anything conspiratorial about saying big tech is against kind of conservative ideology at all. That's, that's pretty self-evident. All you have to do is listen to what the CEOs of these companies say, and even our politicians talking about how we need to crack down on all of these, these right-wing conservative views. But it, there is an irony in it, for sure, that probably the most conservative traditional thing a lot of people could do is just log off and delete all their accounts and go have a family. And some of the most conservative people on the planet will have no idea what Twitter is. I saw a very funny quote the other day. It was, <laughs> do you mind if I bring this up? No, of course. <laughs> in a traditional marriage, the woman is responsible for cooking, cleaning, taking care of the children, working and paying the bills. Well, the man is responsible for posting on Twitter. <laughs> it's like kind of taking the piss out of a lot of what modern conservatism has become. It's become a lot of, you know, people who, who don't have families that argue online all day. But this is the same for modern socialism, right? It's a bunch of people who have never worked a job, never started a union, never partaken in any of this, arguing online all day. I think people find this interesting, though, that there are, there's a, there are sort of trad movements online, and then nobody quite knows. There's a lot of sort of accusation that it's fake. I think you've been accused of being a fake trad online. And I mean, I think this is where people get very lost because nobody quite knows whether anybody means anything online. And that's where the alt-right has become a mystery. Is, is it real at all? 
Do people actually mean what they're saying? Do they mean it only when they're saying it? Are they completely different people offline than they are online? Is it a sincere movement, I suppose, is the, or is it a movement at all? Uh, that's, I think that's a worthwhile question. I wouldn't consider myself this hardcore traditionalist by any stretch. I'm a conservative, I'm a Christian, and I do try to adhere to those values. But uh, no, I, I'm not for the application of Sharia law and chaining women to your kitchens uh, to, to any degree. But I, I actually think that is a worthwhile criticism of the right wing. And I think a lot of the reasons we, we can sit around and we as conservatives can blame the left and everything they've done. And it's been a lot. There's been a lot of curation of the content people see, and there's been a lot of censorship, a lot of slander. There's no denying that. But I also think that there is a genuine moral sickness at the center of the right wing, a genuine inability for a lot of the people within the right wing spheres to adhere to their own values and beliefs. And uh, that's, it's not necessarily their fault. We've all been raised in a broken world, in a world that barely has a concept of what conservatism, family values, small community values are. Most people who are commenting about conservatism have never experienced any of these things. They've grown up in broken homes and cities. They don't, they just like the idea. But um, I'd, I'd say it is, it's absolutely a fair criticism to say a lot of people on the right do not follow their values. As I would say, it's usually conservatives, you can get them with uh, with sex scandals and the left, you can get them with money. All the people talking about socialism and how we need to tax the rich, they're all looking for every tax loop you can get. They're all, you know, like Hassan Piker buying $3 million mansions and Porsches here and there while talking about how we need to stand up for the working man and eat the rich. It's a fundamental human hypocrisy that exists in everyone. And I don't know whether... Uh, it's tough because it's not necessarily that I don't think people are genuine when they are not following their conservative beliefs. Like I know lots of conservatives that do drugs and party and do all this all day while, while slamming people who do drugs on Twitter all the time. But I also do feel there's a degree of them disliking themselves for that and not wanting other people to partake in it. Saying, I have gone down this route and I know it's horrible and other people shouldn't do it too. Even, even if I don't stop. So there's, there's a hypocrisy there, but I think hypocrites can also be correct. I'm, I'm sure hypocrites can be correct. In fact, they have to be. But, but the, um, I mean, do you think, so we had this discussion the other day on Spectator TV about the word based, which has kind of, now there's a, as far as I understand it, you'll be much more in tune with what's going on about the word based than I am. But as far as I understand, there's now like a, there's now like a fight about the word based, right? So that all the, the it's become yes. a it's become a sort of normy term. So it, I'm going to take you through my understanding of it. It started as a term for getting high on crack cocaine in like the ghettos, and it meant like based. You're like you're based. You're basing, and then it became a kind of uh, you don't care. You're because you're based. You you don't care about what other people think. And then that turned into a sort of conservative term for you're willing to say that you like Trump online or something. And now, as far as I understand, it's making the this, this sort of hardcore online right cringe a bit because a lot of the normal, perhaps libertarian, better funded right are using it a lot. Is that what's going on? Yes, but it's also being used by like far left and socialist circles as well. So if someone says something that's very pro working class, that's so based, man. 
you know, the lifespan of an internet meme is always an interesting thing to watch. I do believe a lot of them start on 4chan and then make their way through right-wing spheres and then get taken by the left and reused. Like Pepe the Frog is now used in a lot of leftist circles. He's used as a response in Vosh comment sections or, or Hassan Piker comment sections. So it's a lot of things that started on the even fringe areas of the right wing or, or just like 4chan, even if it's not right wing, usually make their way through a long cycle of internet usage until they, they end up being, uh, you know, an old used up meme that everyone finds cringeworthy at some point. I don't doubt within the next year or two, base will be so yesterday, but uh, such, such is the nature of internet culture. There's really no making sense of it. Well, I suppose that brings me back to the point about whether internet culture can ever be conservative because it's always about fashion and it's always about mm -hmm. things that are very quick and immediate and then people get disgusted by them because they become, you know, a bit embarrassing or something. Yeah, the whole internet is a memory hole. It's, there's nothing, yeah, not, nothing to be conserved about it. I was just talking the other day to a, to a friend of mine about how whenever I'm doing research for, I'm working on a film right now, and I, I try to find articles that have some consistent information about policy or immigration from the 90s or something, I have to put a time cap on my searches on Google to before 2015. If I can get before 2010, even better, because it'll actually have information. They'll actually be articles. It won't just be this saturation of opinion pieces, which have come about the past, you know, 10 years, essentially, where every day there are 20,000 opinion pieces on any given topic published. And it's just a saturation of that on Google. And it just all gets put out there that day and then disappears the next day for the next wave of opinion pieces. Whereas there was a time where content was all really well thought out. There was a lot of effort put into it. It was, you know, published with, with care. And now it's just, you know, the, the amount of internet, just click holes. I know click hole is a meme website, but it is all of these websites now are click holes. You just go down them and all of it just goes straight through the front of your brain and out the back. And the next day you're ready and empty to consume more content again, that you'll never remember nor care about the next day. It's quite tragic. Well, uh, let's talk uh, about um, feminism online. I mean, I think this is something you've sort of oh, talked about. I think your, your most, your first video, was it your first ever video was about this? Is that right? Uh, yeah, why I'm, why I'm not a feminist. Why you're not a feminist. And then, I mean, that is a very online subject, right? It annoys me. I love that term. It I love the term very online. Well, it is, isn't it? It is, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were you were mocking me for saying the term online. No, no, I, no. I love the term very online because it it just says so much to me. It's like this is a topic no one actually cares about on their day to day basis. It's very online, as in, or were you using it in a different term? Because people use very online as an insult. Well, I suppose I do mean it as an insult, not an insult, but what I mean is that um, people get very worked up about it online, but actually they don't really care. Oh, okay. Have you ever heard of the? Thing, touch grass, the phrase touch grass. No, please explain to me. Okay, so it's something that's said on, usually on Twitter. If someone starts going down uh, some ridiculous hole of theory, like 
you are not actually a feminist because point A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and like going through internet history in 2010, you posted this post in which you used the wrong pronouns. People will be like, holy shit, touch grass, go outside, touch grass and get away from the internet for a minute because you are talking madness. <laughs> so it means go, go into the real world. Yes, precisely. Right. So oh, a lot yeah, of people like discussing that. feminism need to touch grass <laughs> online. Yes. But but do you do you find that I mean, are most of your people who hate you online are they mostly feminists or are they kind of men? Do you get a lot? Of, you get a lot of male hatred. It's a good mix. You know what's funny though is, so the women who hate me online for my criticism of feminism, they will be the most socially nasty in you know posting this ugly, wretched woman. She deserves all the horrible things that happened to her. And they'll post things like this all the time. She deserves abuse. She deserves to be attacked. So they'll, they'll post wretched things publicly, but the men who hate me will go full schizophrenic. Like I'll have emails that I've got like 40 emails in my inbox from them talking about how they're going to dismember me and find where my family live, you know? So it's, it's a different type of hate. And the men hate me for not, not being anti-feminist enough. And the feminists hate me for not being feminist enough. So as you can tell, these are all very uh, mentally stable people. Well, I'm not sure anyone's mentally stable online. Let's come back to, I guess, the essential question, which is if the alt-right never really existed beyond as a sort of online thing, will there be another online thing? And what is it? Is it posing as a traditionalist online? Is that the new thing? Is, is, is it drifting towards fascism? I mean, I don't, think that's a, I don't think that's a sort of woke question. I think there, there obviously is a lot of people who are interested in genuine white nationalism, white, white supremacy even. Is that where the online right has to go now? Yeah, no, I think this is a, this is a valid question. Okay. <laughs> I think the concern has always been, and it it's been talked about a lot, certainly in 2015 to 2016, that if things don't change the trajectory they're on, it will get more and more extreme. And that's always been my concern and others, even predicting back in 2015 that if we lose our ability to speak to one another, if all of these campus events keep getting canceled and shut down, well, our protests are going to become violent. And what have we seen? Even the right wing are taking part in disruptive protests while they're not as violent as the BLM protests. They're disruptive. And that's the first in a long time. Like how often do you see conservative family men going out and shutting down Ottawa or going into the Capitol, right? And this is going to continue in this direction so long as the conversation doesn't continue, so long as we're talking past each other as it's all based around slander and name calling. And um, there is going to be more and more of an appetite every day for something more extreme, certainly from the younger generations that feel they have had their whole lives stolen from them that feel the discourse has gotten so confusing. Most of these kids don't even know what to think of their gender anymore, let alone what a family is, what a community is. There's no structure. And without structure, it, people become chaos. They look for extreme forms of structure and hierarchy, which I do think is fascism. That's why it's so worthwhile to talk about the extreme left-wing trajectory we're headed, because there will be a far more extreme backlash if we don't stop it. Well, Lauren, I think we'll end it there. Thank you very much. You've been so patient with my questioning. So uh, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you very much for listening to that episode of Americano. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. And if you really enjoyed it, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars, and a review. 